Hello there, Traveler. Welcome in. Welcome to the Quincy's Tavern Podcast, where your tavern keepers, Quincy and Mackenzie, and we'd like to invite you in. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about disabilities. So our personal experiences, um, you know, stigmas in the world, vocab, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and just see where it takes us. This is something you're definitely much more educated in, and I would love you to kind of like essentially talk to me, talk to the listener, watcher, um, and and go through, I guess, not everything. Obviously, we can't cover everything, but like <laughs> give us, uh, for many people, like even myself included, I wouldn't have considered myself necessarily physically disabled. Right. Um, I, Which know, I think is interesting, actually, and I do kind of want to talk about that. I thought, I think that came up recently just between mm-hmm. you and I for an experience that you had recently and uh, just learning about your the way that you, yeah, 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 the way that you think about it, the way that you you view yourself, whereas someone out in society might consider you disabled, whereas you don't feel necessarily mm-hmm. that you are, or you don't identify with that. Okay, well, let's go ahead and start with like I guess definitions. What counts, or what is the pre, pre, parameter to be a disabled person? Now, I think that is definitely a mixed bag. Mm. Um, I think chronic illness specifically, you know, can definitely be considered a disability. I know that people consider certain neurodivergencies a disability. Um, A lot of people, so I'm on the autism spectrum, and I know that a lot of people would consider that to be a disability because it is, you know, it, it affects your daily life. I think that is probably what society's definition would be is that how it affects your life and how it affects or limits your body. Hmm. So it can be, you know, anything from missing limbs to using mobility aids to chronic illness, neurodiversity, so on and so on. But again, that's not like a legit scientific definition. (laughs) You know, that's kind of just my experience and what I have heard other people say. And again, I might not be 100% correct about a lot of things. I might accidentally offend people with certain, you know, thoughts and views or whatever but that is the purpose of this is it's a conversation yeah you know and it's about learning not only me you know learning from other people but um people learning my perspective me learning your perspective and Mm -hmm. so on so we're not here to you know judge anyone harp on anyone it's just about learning and you know absolutely uh, trial and error yeah this is a whole and and with our show if you're first time listening you coming in. Um, we want this to be a, a cozy environment, a safe environment. Um, and also, if you learn something from this, all the better. But this is something where Mackenzie and I, as if you don't know us, we're full-time content creators. Uh, she, Mackenzie is a published author, fantasy uh, novelist. Uh, I am a full-time content creator on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter and whatnot, uh, creating from the fictional world of Quincy's Tavern. And we are collaborating on future stories and things. And this is our podcast. This is our show. But we wanted to, uh, for these Friday episodes, also happy Friday, um, uh, we want to just have conversations that are not only meaningful, but uh, ones that are in a safe environment. And authentic. Authentic and mm-hmm. real, for sure, for sure. So if that sounds interesting to you, uh, cozy up, get yourself something nice to drink. Uh, what are you drinking right now? Uh, I'm still on an energy drink. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Same one. You don't drink water, do you? Listen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm what the young kids nowadays call a uh, beverage girly. I don't necessarily identify with that. Uh Um, I just, I don't like water. I think that water (laughs) is for squares. (laughs) 
Beverage girlies, squares. Yes, yeah. the kids nowadays still use square. Listen, energy drinks, <laughs> diets, diet sodas. I, you could bribe me to do almost anything with a diet soda. Um, That's your Scooby snack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anything but water. Love that. Love that. Okay, great. I'm drinking water. You better drink your water. Make sure you drink your water. Don't do what Mackenzie does all the time. She does drink water eventually sometimes. Do you ever actually? I honestly, okay. <laughs> when was the last time you had a glass of water? <laughs> like plain water? Yeah, yeah. no lemon. Oh, I don't do lemon. One. I don't okay. do, no, like the closest thing I get to water, I think is like La Croix or something That's of the water. sort. But it's like flavored. That's not water. Like once a month, I get a craving for water, like at two in the morning. Yeah, because your body's like, "Wow, I would really like something that's not carbonated." But listen, <laughs> I've I've gotten my blood drawn. My nutrition is great. I'm always well hydrated. <laughs> like medically speaking, I'm fine. <laughs> Chronically ill in a wheelchair, but I'm fine. Drink your water, please. All right, sponsored by water. Um. <laughs> listen, Minty swims. She absorbs it through her skin. I don't oh. have to drink it. That's a fictional character. Shh. Oh my gosh. Let me live. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> and I'm trying to make sure you stick around for a longer time than you than you first perceived. Oh gosh. Um, but thank you for joining us. Welcome in. Um, let's go ahead and I guess, uh, like we mentioned in our in the last episode, uh, we mentioned and kind of touched on your story mm-hmm. of like because you. Like so, some people are born with a disability, right. missing limb. Uh, like myself, I was born with missing fingers and missing toes. Um, but like you, like it kind of came up, mm-hmm. like it, it it almost very dramatic way as well. Hit me like a freight train. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so <laughs> as much as you're comfortable with, what could you share with that? Yeah. So um, if you listen to our first episode, you'll kind of know a little bit about this. And uh, one of the things that we told you was that our cookbook that's coming out in April of uh, 2023 comes out on April 21st. And so April 21st, I call my sick anniversary. Um, And this April, when our book comes out, will be five years of being Mm. disabled, which it feels like such a long time ago. But at the same time, it's still so fresh. Um, and you know, and it's, it's really strange. I'll kind of get into everything that happened in a lot of my diagnoses. Um, but one of the things I think this is really interesting way to open up this conversation is being disabled for almost five years now. I don't, I can actively talk about it and, you know, I kind of label myself as disabled. You know, it's not a dirty word. Disabled is not a dirty word. Let's preface that. Like disabled is not like... I guess because there is a stigma to that. Right. It's like, and we can definitely talk about that. I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah. So I still dream. When I dream, I'm walking. Mm. In five years, I think I have only had two dreams where I was in a wheelchair. Mm. And so my subconscious, I very much, I think, I still view myself as an able-bodied person. Um, but I can actively talk about being disabled and, you know, be an advocate for it, but it doesn't really hit me very often. Like there's sometimes where I'll catch my reflection in like the side of a car or something mm-hmm. like that. Just something at, at a time I really didn't expect. And it catches me off guard. Mm. I'm like, wow, that's, 
that's me. That's, that's my body. And mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, to be very, very transparent, I don't like to dwell on it too much, even though I talk about it very openly, it's not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a very open person, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but I have like annual cries, you know, I think probably about two or three times a year I break down and I have just like a real good cry about it and just kind of let myself, I guess, mourn the life I used to have and almost throw a little bit of a pity party because usually things that spur that on is, you know, being excluded for something Mm -hmm. or realizing that I can't do something. Um, You know, like going on a beach, Mm -hmm. you know, just things that were just so easy Mm -hmm. you know getting off of the couch the fact that you know i have to transfer into a chair and it's just it's really really different and Mm -hmm. really interesting how my subconscious still views myself Mm. as the person i used to be so i have been quote unquote normal my whole entire life Mm -hmm. right and by that i mean functioning legs healthy whatever normal is right yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean no no health issues i didn't Mm -hmm. have any sort of chronic illness or anything before 2018 Mm -hmm. um and at that point i was working full-time i was a manager i mentioned this in episode one i was a manager of a vintage uh soda and candy shop Mm -hmm. and at that time i had gotten my license um, to microblade or tattoo eyebrows i had gotten my own salon suite i was rearing ready to go and um i got my license in march And so I do remember that a little bit in the beginning of 2018, I had some times where I really wasn't feeling very good. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember being really, really dizzy a couple of times at work and, you know, feeling like I was going to throw up. Like I would brace myself on the counter. I'm like, oh man, I do not feel good. Couldn't figure out why, you know, thought I was, I had to lift a lot of heavy crates and stuff at my, at my job. So I was trying to up my protein, making sure I was eating enough, um, just all that I just didn't understand just like why. the normal things kind of thing right. so it almost felt like oh I need to get healthier because my work I'm, maybe I'm just physically tired maybe yeah. I'm just just not eating enough sure. you know or or what have you um, I remember in February of that year I had gone to Florida with my parents we went to um, Universal there and I think we had visited my grandparents and at that point you know, I remember being very nauseous. At mm-hmm. One of the times we had gone to this really cool restaurant and I literally just ordered rice because I was so sick. Yeah. Didn't think anything of it. You know, after that, I was fine. Um, and by April... Sick as in how? Like, describe that sickness, I guess. Um, just nauseous. Okay. You know, just like when you don't really feel very good. Yeah. I guess kind of the times where, you know, maybe you haven't eaten enough that day or, you know... A f- not food poisoning, but just a general feeling of nausea, nausea. and just yeah. unwell. Like sure. you just feel off and you don't know why, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a cold or anything like that. It's just, ugh, I feel mm-hmm. awful, you yeah. know? Um, so by April, again, I was quote unquote fine. I think at that point, um, I had had a couple of stomach issues. So we had started getting tests done, um, to see if there's something wrong with my gallbladder. Cause my dad, uh, years earlier, he had gotten his gallbladder removed. Um, my sister had gotten her gallbladder removed. So we were just kind of thinking, you know, maybe that's, that's it too. Cause I, I believe I've heard that that can be hereditary gallbladder mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty useless organ really. <laughs> and they can like, <laughs> what's that supposed to do then if yeah. it's not supposed to do anything? So it stores extra, extra bile. And it's so, like, if you eat mm. something that really needs help being broken down, like steak or something like that, okay. it kind of pumps out a little bit extra to help your body break it down. But other than that, it just sits there. Mm. And some people, you know, they can get gallstones or whatever. Mm. 
Um, so I started to get tests done for that. And uh, by the time in April, I it was April 21st, it was a Saturday. And so I was getting up, getting ready to go to my shift. So on Saturdays, um, every day during the week, you worked alone on your shift, okay. except for Saturdays and Sundays. And so someone on Saturday, they would start their shift at four, the second person would come in at six, and you would both work until 10 and close. Sure. So I had the six o'clock. So my coworker was already there. And I um, got off the couch. And I was going to go into my room, I think, to go get dressed because I had to go leave for my shift. And I had stood up from the couch and I went over to the kitchen island that was right there. My mom was standing there. And we're talking, um, you know, don't even know about what. It's just very trivial. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly did not feel very good. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I probably had my hands braced on the counter. I look at my mom. She looks at me and she's like, you don't look very good. And I said, I don't feel good. And literally in that instant something happened um with my heart i guess in a way and my mom said that my body literally pitched forward so as i felt some sort of trip or whatever it was in my chest like a chest pain my chest pitched forward and i dropped like a stone so i quite literally collapsed i mm. used that word before in the first episode i collapsed mm. and i was on the floor um kind of disoriented i don't really remember a lot of that specific moment, but I do know that my mom ran to go get my dad and they took me to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up spending four days in the hospital. Um, they could not release me. Um, they did like a, it's called a poor man's tilt table test. So it's kind of like an orthostatic test to see what your heart rate does when you're laying down, mm -hmm. what happens when you sit up, when it happens when you stand up. So the change was so intense, your mm -hmm. heart rate going up and your blood pressure dropping that they just could not let me go from the emergency room. So right. I ended up staying four days. They started doing every test you could imagine from blood tests to heart tests. I remember there was one um, where they did to see if I had a hole in my heart. So like they injected um, like a saline solution or something like that just to see if like there was any bubbles in yeah. my heart. Um, tried everything, couldn't find couldn't find a single thing. And so, you know, at that point they put like a fall risk wristband on my arm and, and you know me, I'm a very determined, stubborn person. <laughs> so I was not allowed to get up and walk to go to the bathroom. I was supposed to call a nurse. Mm. Did I do that? I wouldn't think so. No. Um, did you end up collapsing on the way to the bathroom? <laughs> so my mom was there. And so I went into the bathroom you know, she had to help me shuffle along like I was a little old lady. And uh, I open up the bathroom door after I was done and I just fall into her arms. <laughs> so at that point, you know, it's not that my legs were not working. It was my body. So again, yeah. I want to preface this. And if you're watching the YouTube video, like my legs work, I can move them, you know, <laughs> just fine. I'm not in any way, shape or form paralyzed, even though I have to use a wheelchair 24 seven. Mm. And so from that, that was April, you know, I probably got released around April 25th sure. and, um, I, it was just a steady decline to the point that I was completely bed bound. I couldn't even sit up. I was so dizzy. And so I would quite literally only go to the bathroom once a day. And so my mom would have to get me out of bed and it was like <laughs> trying to stumble down the hallway. She's carrying half my body weight. Mm -hmm. I'm literally huffing and puffing my you know, there was something going on with my heart. I was dizzy. I was nauseous. It was literally like your world falling apart. Yeah. Everything, your whole entire body 
just misfiring everything anything you could think of it was just awful like my body my body's reaction was literally telling me to get down mm -hmm. <laughs> um so when they let you go after four days at the hospital what did they say was the matter like what did nothing they, they couldn't figure it out so they just let you go with mm -hmm. nothing yeah because they, they couldn't figure it out they're like oh you're gonna have to go to a specialist I'm like, okay. So we uh, called Mayo. I'm thankful for where we live in Arizona. Uh, Mayo Clinic is like an hour away, you know, and they're, they're supposed to be the best of the best. Hubert's supposed to be. <laughs> uh -oh. um, but the thing is, Mayo Clinic is really, really hard to get into. So from April 21st, I think like May 25th, that's how long I, I had to wait a month. And so I, they put me in to like see a kidney doctor just to get me in the door. Nothing was wrong with my kidneys, but it was my way of seeing him. And then he would get me in with all the other doctors. And gotcha. I was, I was seen by Mayo Clinic for two years, you know, just to jump ahead. Mm. Or I think it was a little, little over a year. Um, so from April to the, the time that I was waiting to go to Mayo, I laid in bed for a month. Mm. I could not get up. My dad at one point when he, this is when I still lived with my parents, he would come home from work and I was still in the same position and he would try, he had to physically pick up my body just to shift me up a little bit so that I was semi sitting up mm -hmm. completely bed bound for a whole entire month. And so again, at that point, when I say that I stopped being able to walk, it's not that my legs weren't working. It's mm -hmm. that my whole entire body was not working. Like it was things in my brain were misfiring. Right. So it's not connecting to my nerves, it's not connecting correctly to my organs. So as soon as I would stand up, my heart rate is going above 200 beats per minute, my blood pressure is dropping. I, you know, the- What's the normal heart rate? What's the normal heart rate? I think it depends on the age and also the um, amount of exercise. Like mm -hmm. I know people our age, probably the standard just sitting here should be 70, 80. Mm -hmm. When you stand up, it should roughly be the same. Mm -hmm. I think like a, when you're sprinting, it would probably be 130. And yours is like double that for just like laying down. So sitting right here, I'm, I'm my baseline is probably about 100. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I were to stand up, I'd go above 200 beats per minute, but I would collapse like literally within seconds. If I stand up, Again, nothing, those things in my brain that are supposed to be connecting the nerves that are supposed to be firing together. And you have these vessels in your legs that clench mm -hmm. as soon as you stand up. I mean, it's just a connection that automatically happens. You have vessels in your legs that clench when you stand up and it pushes all the blood up to your heart and your head. Mm. Mine does not do that. Mm. So all of this, you know, to get into Mayo and I literally had every single test anyone could ever imagine. I mean, they were sending my blood out for such rare blood test just to try and figure out what was wrong with me. Mm. Um, you know, and they found so many different weird, trivial things that never really amounted to anything. Like one of the blood tests, they found a tumor marker for, and you know, that's supposed to signify cancer. Did they find anything? No. So like they never followed up on it. They never did anything else. Um, and so I'm going to tell you guys, my diagnoses because the thing about chronic illness is if you have one thing you pretty much have another they're i think they're called like comorbidities i might be pronouncing that wrong but they are just things that all run together so if you have okay. one you probably have the other um but i do want to say this because this happens a lot when i talk about my illnesses on social media is a lot of unsolicited advice mm. or have you tried this? Do you have this? Oh, sure. That's when everyone becomes a lawyer and a doctor. Right. So, um, I appreciate everyone and I know that people say this with kindness, you know, and, and concern and try to help, but 
So me telling you guys my my uh, some of my diagnoses, I appreciate you, but I, I don't need any advice. Mm. <laughs> so my big diagnosis is idiopathic peripheral autonomic neuropathy. So idiopathic is just a fancy word for saying they don't know what it is and they can't figure out what it is and they oh, never will. Great. Right. <laughs> I'm glad there's a word for that. Right. And then so you have your autonomic system and your peripheral autonomic system. Okay. So it's uh, idiopathic peripheral autonomic and then neuropathy. So I think a lot of people have heard the word neuropathy before. You know, you think of like right. the... Um, like a lot of people who are diabetic have neuropathy in their feet or their oh, hands. Okay. You know, it's kind of either the num numbness, the tingling, mm -hmm. um, so on and so on. So for the neuropathy for the autonomic system, the peripheral system is, again, it's like I said, those nerves and stuff, not, not connecting the messages in your brain, not firing. Sure. So that's my big one. And that is the thing that affects me the most. But the other things that come along with it are POTS, which a lot of people are probably becoming more familiar with it. If mm. you were to have talked about POTS even a year ago, no one would know what it is. But I think because of COVID, a lot of people have been getting it as like an after effect, which is really oh. interesting. Um, so POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So your postural, again, remember I kind of talked mm -hmm. about the tilt taper test, um, your orthostatic values of so sitting up, standing, laying down. Um, postural orthostatic tachycardia, heart, and then syndrome. You know, mm. so it's it's not a heart issue, but it affects your heart. So it's okay. that high heart rate. Um, and a lot of people, some of the lucky ones, I use that word very loosely, are able to treat it with certain medications. I think like one of them is flutocortisol, mitodrin, mm. um, so on and so on. Um, they really say that you should, you know, use compression stockings or leggings, up your water intake, do a lot of salt. Up your water intake. Hold on. <laughs> up your salt because salt helps your body hold mm. on to water. Yeah. None of that worked for me. Mm. I could literally go to the hospital and get three IV bags pumped into my body and it would not help me at all. Whereas other people that would help stabilize their blood pressure and everything. It does absolutely nothing for me. Those mm. medications did not help me. At the end of me going to Mayo Clinic, I had two gallon bags worth of medications mm. that they tried that did not work. I tried everything from beta blockers and it made my heart rate go too low to the point that I was passing out, sitting up, mm. um, so on and so on. Um, another one of my diagnoses is EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is like a connective tissue disorder. So mm. a lot of people, you know, it's like weirdly stretchy skin. It's mm. hypermobile joints. Um, it, a lot of people get super bad um, dislocations and what, but it can affect your your gut and your insides. It's not just like, oh, look at how flexible I am. Like, mm -hmm. it's awful. It's it's yeah. not as, it's a little bit worse, I think, than people think it is. Mm. Um, I have something called mast cell, which is um, kind of like your body not regulating, I guess, allergies in a, in a way. I don't know too much about it. It's something that I don't have to deal with as often. I take an H1, H2 blocker, which help block your allergies. So for me, that's Pepsid and Zyrtec. One of them is an H2, one of them is H1. Um, so it's just like really hyperactive allergies, not like, oh, cat allergy or whatever. It's just like water, literally anything, like full on, you can get, it's, I don't have lupus, but like you can get a butterfly rash, you know, it's not fun. In general, just not fun. Um, 
And I'm sure there's probably a couple of other little things that I'm not thinking of right now. Again, it's uh, it's a very much a mixed bag. You could reach yeah. in and grab a couple of marbles and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> I have those. <laughs> it just comes along, especially mm. with pots. You see a lot of people who have pots also have Eller Stanlos okay. um, and things of the variety. And they don't know where it comes from. They don't know where it like, it doesn't have like an origination. Or no. Anything. And so the interesting thing, like I know for pots, like some people it can be, um, a certain illness or I had a friend, um, a trauma. So she had gotten into a car accident and that had kind of spurred some of that stuff on. I've heard people from getting flu shots. I mean, it, again, it's, it's such a mixed bag and just like people now after COVID it's some people have it as a side effect, which is really interesting because it's sad and it sucks, but it's also raising a lot of awareness for pots. And I'm really hoping that we'll find kind of better treatments, especially for people like me who are a little bit more of a better unicorn for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Now that it's not popularized, but you know right. what I mean? So they, they call us zebras, but I'm like the unicorn zebra because like, <laughs> like everything they tried didn't work. Oh no. Um, yeah. So I had gone to Mayo and we tried everything. And then our last resort was, um, IVIG subcutaneous. Um, so IVIG is immunoglobulin, uh, injections. And so when you do it subcutaneously, you are injecting it into yourself underneath your skin. Um, and so, Ooh. yeah, so IVIG it's your blood plasma essentially is what okay. it is. And so it's super expensive, super hard to get. Um, I actually had to do like a GoFundMe type of thing just to even afford it because like insurance doesn't cover it. It's such a hard and kind of rare treatment. Mm. Like it's supposed to be gold. I mean, it's supposed to be like the, not cure all, but you know, people f who had, um, cancer, they do certain treatments with IVIG and so on and so on. Mm. Um, so I had to have a nurse come over to the house and train me how to do it. So I literally had to stab like four big old needles in my stomach. I had all these tubes. I had to make sure I injected certain things at certain times. So I wasn't putting air into my body. Mm. Sometimes like my stomach it was oh, so bad, but process. sometimes I couldn't do it in my stomach and I would have to do it in my thighs mm -hmm. and you had to sit there and do the transfusions for like well over an hour. But the thing is for me is it made me so sick to the point I was debilitated. And mm -hmm. so I had to do those infusions, um, once a week. And so for some people, like they kind of feel awful, like for a day or two afterwards, yeah. and then their body starts to you know cycle through and it's like supposed to be an awesome treatment. That's why it's the last resort for people because it is again, so expensive and mm. such a hard thing to do and come across. But I was suffering that whole entire week. It literally was debilitating me to the point it, that it did nothing. No, I was back in bed. Yeah. Like completely like a truck hit me. Yeah. I had gone backwards. Cause at that point that I started doing that, I was regulating my life a little bit. Like I was mm. using a wheelchair at that point. Um, we got my first wheelchair just off of Amazon for my May appointment when I had first gone to Mayo because I couldn't walk anymore to that right. point. And again, not my legs. It was I my inability to stand up because of my heart rate, the dizziness, the nausea, the sweating, like right. everything that literally happened within seconds of standing up. Right. I would pass out on the floor within three seconds of standing mm -hmm. up. So I had to get a wheelchair then. And so I've been in a wheelchair since May of 2018 to now. Right. Um, so you're going through these transfusions or whatever right now. What is the timeline for that? Where are we at? I think that was in 2019. 
So a year, about a year later. Yeah. And yeah. that was one of kind of, again, a last resort yeah. thing. And it was, it made me worse. It made me back into that bed bound for that whole entire week. So I would get better on like the last day of that week. And then the next day I have to do those infusions again. And so, because they were making me so bad, they're like, you can't do this anymore. Like mm. it's not helping. It's making you worse. They tried all these medications again, two gallon bags worth of yeah. stuff that did not work for yeah. me or made me worse. Right. So at that point, Mayo kind of was just like, I don't know what to do for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> like it was kind of a, pat on the butt and send me out yeah. in a way. So, um, after that we found some of the top neurologists and cardiologists in Phoenix and we tried them. And, uh, again, they tried testing me for tons of different things. One of them said I had, um, cranial cervical and cranial cervical instability. I can't remember exactly the whole thing, but it's essentially like, so here's your brain right? Your skull is, is my fist. If you are listening to the podcast, right? (laughs) 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 if you're listening to the podcast, this isn't going to make any sense to you, but if you're watching this on YouTube, so if your brain is sitting here, your spine is underneath it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, my brain and my skull is slipping into my spine supposedly, right? Interesting. And so there's people who get, um, their spine like their neck fused and mm-hmm. so it's supposed to lift your skull and your head up mm-hmm. and then it wouldn't you know sink down and create all of the you know syncope the dizziness and yada 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 so there was one way to test it and that was a to put you in a neck brace because it's it would pull your lift neck up, up. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and stabilize you I was in this, some of the worst pain of my life being in that How neck brace. How long did that last? Well, I, I had the ability to take it off, right? So sure. I would wear it. I would try and try and try for like half hour, hour. And by the end of it, I was in so much pain that I just took it off. And yeah. so they had these weird, it was like a medieval torture device. <laughs> they had you go in and it's like you lay on a table. They literally strap your head in underneath your jaw and pull up. So again, it's simulating that surgery and literally picking your head up off of your spine. And again, it was like medieval torture. It hurt so bad. I started crying and like, I'm not a crier. I don't tap out. I'm literally covered in tattoos, my neck, my arms, everything. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. It hurt so bad. So they're like, all right, well, okay, we're not going to fuse your spine. Let's move on to the next thing, figure out what we can do. Cause again, they couldn't do anything for me. Um, and so that was tests and tests and tests for, like well over a year and a half, I think. So and now we're getting into 2020. A little bit before that. I think okay. this is still 2019. Um, we had tried one more cardiologist and she was supposed to be the best in Phoenix, right? And so she sees me. I think they might've done a couple of tests. You know, they've, I've had tons of EKGs. You know, I don't have an arrhythmia or a murmur or anything mm-hmm. like that. So my heart physically is fine despite all of these heart-related issues, yeah. quote unquote. Um. And so this was at that point where I am starting to, I guess, lose hope, you would say. Sure. Um, And my parents, goodness gracious, I love them to death. But the way that we would talk, especially within the first year, it's like, oh, yeah, when you walk again, when you get better, you know, we'll go off and we'll do this. And Mm -hmm. it was always when you walk, when you get better. And at that point in late 2019, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm not going to get better you know, and so Is that when it kind of like maybe hit you that this was probably permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, so my mom, I had kind of had a conversation with her about that and she, you know, kind of stopped using that as yeah. when you walk again, when you get better. My, well, understandably. So it's like, it's that hopeful kind right. of thing and that encouragement. But then when, 
And it's not even giving up hope. It's like, this is just the situation we're in. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I knew that I wasn't going to walk again at yeah. that point, you know, and for my parents, there was still that hope, that positivity. And I mm-hmm. totally got it. You know, yeah. that's my parents. They want the best for me. You know, they don't want to see their child in this position. Absolutely. So for my dad, I think he was the one who kind of held on to that for the longest. And so when he would say that it really like, it made me upset because mm-hmm. it was so hard to constantly hear that. Mm-hmm. And in my head to know, like, no, like that's, that's not going to be it. So hearing people like, oh yeah, when you walk again or, oh, have you tried standing recently? Like mm-hmm. I still get that sometimes for my sisters. God bless them. I love <laughs> them to death, but you know, it's just like, have you tried standing recently? It's like, oh yeah, let me, let me try that. I'll, oh, look, I'm cured. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's one of those really, really hard things. Um, but I think after this cardiologist that we saw, she had done her last test, whatever. And this is 2019, yeah. late 2019. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there and she looks at me and she's just like, there is nothing that anyone can do for you. This is your life now. Full stop. Now having an interaction like that, what was that like? Um, I cried a little bit. I got, sure. I got a little misty eyed, but I, I already knew it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of already had that feeling like. So it's like in, in a way, are you appreciative that someone kind of just like was like, this is just the situation? Yeah, because it was the end of torture, I guess, you know, yeah. trying all these medications, then making me feel worse, feeling like a guinea pig. All these tests. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like I had other cardiologists be like, oh, my gosh, this beta blocker is going to fix all your problems. You're mm. going to get your life back. And so to try all these medications that are supposed to be this cure all, you know, IVIG, all of these people it makes them feel so much better. People who are getting IVG, uh, yeah, it's like all this like, snake oil to the hope and then it's dashed well, and it's kind of like you try, I oh, mean, well, let's try this new snake oil. Either. Well, it's not necessarily that because it's not like placebo type stuff. Like either, uh, other POTS people that you will talk to, they get IV infusions. So just like water and saline and they perk them right up mm. for a couple days, maybe a week. They're you know, they're walking around, it's, they still have, you know, their tachycardia and stuff and then they start to get worse and then they get the IV infusion, they get that water and they perk back up. So you are the unicorn. Right. So to hear it was, it, you know, it was sad and kind of frustrating that like this medication is working for all these people. Cause I was a part of, you know, POTS pages and stuff like that on, um, Facebook, yeah. you know, listening to other people and things that worked for them and them talking about going to Mayo and seeing these, um, mm-hmm. the same, uh, neurologist in Phoenix and stuff like that. And the things that are working for them, not working for me and feeling mm-hmm. like such a weird, like, why not? Like, why me? Yeah. And, and, well, yeah. N- not a why me kind of thing. I never had that feeling and I was never really angry about my situation. Okay. And I definitely attribute that to my faith. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian and that is really important to me and my family. And mm-hmm. I think that is something that kept me strong. You know, I never had that, you know, why God, why'd you do this to me? Like, how yeah. could you do this? Like, it was never, it was never like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that has a lot to do with my childhood and the way that I grew up in some of the medical trauma that I experienced with Mm -hmm. some other things. Um, But yeah, so like hearing that cardiologist say that, that was, I think, the confirmation that I needed and that my family needed specifically because after that, my my dad kind of stopped, especially my mom. That was hearing that like, there is nothing anyone can do to help you. This is your life now. It's like- What a wake up call. Right. Yeah. But it's like, okay, all right. Because before it's just like, you know- Again, it was, oh, yeah, when you're better again, we can do this or, you know, we'll go here. So it's now, okay, well, I'm going to be in the wheelchair now. So how do I go there in yeah. a wheelchair? Yep. Am I going to drive again? It's like, oh, yeah, when you drive again, you know, when you get better. 
So it's like, okay, well, can I drive still in a wheelchair? You know, is there um, cars that I could do fit for a wheelchair? Ended up, I, I can't do that. I'm a very bad risk of passing out, especially now <laughs> now with my blood sugar issues. I have hypoglycemia to the point mm. where I, my mom, I called her on my bathroom floor of my house, been like, hey, I'm about to pass out, pass out on the phone. She breaks into my house, her and my sister. I'm on the bathroom floor gray and unresponsive. Mm. I don't know if I died for a second. Let's like, let's be real. I have no clue. I don't remember it. All I remember is them. When I came to my sister, like my head had flopped to the side. My sister's holding my head and my mom's screaming my name. She's crying. Like I was gone. And I had passed out one time on the, um, the floor of a, um, airport. And I woke mm. up and my parents are above me. There's firemen everywhere. They take my blood sugar. And this is before I even knew my blood sugar was a problem. And it was 45. Low is considered 70. Mm. I could have gotten into a diabetic coma, even though I don't have diabetes. Anyways, that's a new development. But supposedly, I've I've been experiencing that ever since I was a kid. Mm. We just didn't know it. Because um, I get, like, super, super nauseous. My ears get buzzy and hot. And that's that's the blood sugar, to, like, rapidly dropping. Mm. Um, and I'll almost kind of start dry heaving, almost throw up. And then that's when I'm on the floor passing out. Mm. Anyways. So... That confirmation, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was then thinking to myself like, okay, this is my life now. How do, how do I go about it? Because mm-hmm. it was not waiting until something happened, you know, and then trying to figure out my life or looking at my life ahead of after we figure everything out. It's okay. This is my life now. How yeah. do I adapt? Yep. I'm going to live my life in this wheelchair. How do I do it? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, in it was late 2020 September that I got my own house. So yeah. I, I moved out of my parents' house and um Which I remember seeing that online. I was like, that's crazy. Right. I mean, because I'm in such a weird like health issue and health position that people are like, Are you, you sure you want to leave your parents' house? But nope, I'm like, You're gonna die. Right. Well, I'm like, this is the rest of my life. Yeah. Like I I on a day-to-day basis, if I'm smart about things, you know, if I'm I'm conserving my energy, I can I'm predictably, I know how I'm going to feel mornings. I can't wake up, you know, because of chronic fatigue, insomnia, all Mm. of these gut issues. I don't do well in the mornings. I'm super nauseous in the morning. So I sometimes don't wake up till noon Mm -hmm. because at that point, my body is at its best. I function better from noon all the way into the late evening hours. Mm -hmm. And I feel great. Mm -hmm. Quote unquote, as great as I can feel. Like again, I'm nauseous all the time. My, I'm in complete pain all the time because I'm able bodied yet. I am wheelchair bound as if I were paralyzed, but again, I'm not. So I'm feeling all of that pain in my body mm. all the time. Yeah. Cause someone who's paralyzed, you know, they're not going to feel their back and their hips and stuff like that. Hypothetically, you know, mm. they have pains, you know, there's, there's sores and stuff like that that can happen, but I'm feeling it all. So I'm trapped. I have described it before as the longest plane ride of my life. Cause you know, if you, you're yeah. flying cross country or whatever, yep. six hours and when the plane lands, everyone, the seatbelt sign goes off, they get up and they stretch in the aisle. And it's just like that relief of your back and your hips. Mm-hmm. I land and I never get that relief of standing up and stretching. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly sitting on that plane ride mm-hmm. and it is never going to stop. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to feel that pain. So, you know, but again, I, it's predictable enough that, you know, if I'm not having some weird blood sugar scare or some new weird symptoms popping up, my heart is going a little haywire one day, it's predictable. And I live my life, you know, uh, at my house, an author. So I'm sitting on the couch for 10 plus hours a day. I'm just writing. So 
my life is really, you know, my job that I created for myself is great for my situation because I sure. can stay home and I, it's low energy. I'm sitting in one space. So the only thing I'm exhausting is, you know, mental and emotional fatigue instead of mm -hmm. physical. Right. And so in 2020, that is when I decided to be an author. It was that moment, if you listen to the, f the first episode of this podcast, um, talking about how I became a writer, it was because I became disabled. Mm -hmm. You know, realizing that there is not enough disability representation, uh, especially in fantasy um, genre, and you know, my field of work is, is young adults, so that's mainly the ones that I'm reading is young adult fantasy. I'm not really into contemporary, love <laughs> science fiction, any of that. But looking at those as a whole, is there are not people, there's not enough res representation. Right. We're now in a good point, you know, where I'm seeing a lot of representation, you know, deaf stories. Um, I actually, I saw um, a girl write like a Three Musketeers type of retelling and the, the main character has POTS specifically. Wow. I thought that was really cool. Um, I've been seeing some autism representation, which is great. Those are some of the books that I've written as well that are unreleased. Um, but that was my goal is... I want people like me or people who were born with disabilities, um, had accidents, you know, who have mental health um, issues and all that kind of stuff felt seen and represented. And so right. that's why I started my journey as an author. Right. And I had done that right before I moved out into my own house. I, I didn't have a publisher yet. Mm -hmm. I had gotten my publisher after I had moved in. Um, and that's kind of where I've, I've been at since then. I mean, it's just... It was that point of no doctor's ever going to help me. It's like when random things pop up, mm -hmm. you know, I, I go to the doctor just to see if it's something or like if I'm in, sometimes I have really weird crippling pain and I go to the emergency room, yeah. but I only go if I'm literally writhing on the floor, I will not go for anything else. Cause <laughs> you know, like sometimes I just get stabbing pain in my stomach. I'm like, Hmm, that's interesting. That's new. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, mm. you know? So I had mentioned before, um, before I had gotten sick, we were looking at my gallbladder, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Turns out it was dead. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So summer of 2018, this is after I had become disabled, um, it shut down. I could feel it pressing my hand on my side. I could feel a hard bulge and that was my gallbladder. Oh my. So I had was in severe, severe pain. Um, every time I ate, I was in pain. So I literally was only eating like 500 calories a day. Mm. So when I was, before I got sick, I was probably like 150 pounds, mm -hmm. fairly average for someone my height. I'm 5'10". Um, and I dropped all the way down to, I think, less than 110 mm -hmm. pounds. Um, and so at that point, I had this awful pain to the point I was literally screaming in pain. Go to the emergency room. My gallbladder is dead. Mm -hmm. It's hardened. There's sludge. I mean, it's just not working. Right. Get that taken out. Um, I almost died because the hospital that I had went to kind of botched my surgery. So one of the tubes, you know, there's lots of little tubes that come off of your gallbladder and they didn't clamp one of them properly. So I was leaking blood and bile out into my abdomen. And so it was just like a overnight stay and they just send you home the next day. And so I go home, I can't lay down. My stomach is getting progressively bigger and like more distended. I'm in so much pain. Um, and so I slept that night sitting up and so my uh, half sister had come with her friend to come visit me and they're about to leave and the friend is a nurse and she opens up my curtains because I have blackout curtains and just in general in my own house now I rarely have lights on I don't like lights very yeah, you often you look like a vampire yeah yeah um 
And so she opens up my curtains and my skin and my eyes are completely yellow. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, jaundice, that's from bilirubin too much in your, in your system. And that comes from bile and, and such. So go to the hospital. Um, but I would like to preface before I went to the hospital, actually, I just remember this before that night that I had slept sitting up, we went back to the emergency room because my stomach was just so distended mm-hmm. and, uh, the emergency room doctor, uh, refused to give me a CT scan claiming that it would give me too much radiation. And he sent me home with a prescription for gas X because when they do uh, laparoscopic, laparoscopic surgeries, they pump your air, uh, stomach full of air so that they can get their tools in. And so he sent me home with gas X to try and release that air. <laughs> so then the next day, again, they find me yellow. We, th- we go to Mayo clinic, the emergency room there instead, which again, is like an hour drive or so. Mm. And I'm, dying (laughs) like my levels uh, off the charts Mm. off the charts um and so i had to stay overnight for i think like four or five days they had to put these giant needles in my stomach thank god they didn't have to do an extra surgery Mm because they would have had to completely split me open um but they had to put these big old needles in my stomach i have still scars from those and um pull out all that blood and bile Mm. so they saved my life um after that, um, I'm, just, I'm trying to think of all the stupid surgeries I've had. Um, I think I mentioned this maybe in the last podcast, January of this year, I had to have a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very young for a surgery like that. So they took out my uterus and my fallopian tubes. They found endometriosis completely throughout my whole entire pelvis. So they had to cauterize all of that. Um, And then just recently, September, I had my appendix out Mm -hmm. because that had um, a mass in it that was either going to develop gangrene or perforate my appendix. And while they were in, they found like a nodule type tumor thing on my colon and removed that while they were in there. So it's always a fun time with me. (laughs) Like I just constantly keep people guessing and it's 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 fun you know you you never know what's going on with Mackenzie it's always different yeah but through all of that through all of this this is a very long (laughs) adventure not one that you know anyone would choose or could necessarily write but through it all you've chosen to as best as you can make it make the best of it by creating Worlds by creating stories with the energy that you are able to give out and create something pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Now, we also touched on uh, verb- verbiage and, um, I guess, phrasing. Like, in, in your book, A Daughter of the Trolls, uh, you use the term wheelchair-bound mm-hmm. versus wheelchair-user or what other t- another term that it could possibly be. What is why did you choose wheelchair bound versus other things? I think for me that is probably the most natural word. Mm. Um, I know that there are a lot of people out there, whether they are in the disability community or chronic illness community or not, um, they prefer terms like wheelchair user. You know, um, I've heard people say before that uh, wheelchair bound is. Um, I guess offensive. Uh, so it it signifies or alludes to your wheelchair being your jailer or that you are tied to your chair. So instead of it being a, 
um, you know, your jailer, it gives you your freedom to move around again, you know, mm. with all your issues that you have. And I think that is a great way to look at it. You know, if, if that is something that you identify with, I mean, that's very positive. That's very uplifting and that's great. Um, but for some people, and in my case, I don't feel like that works or applies to me mm. because when you look at the word, you wheelchair user that kind of implies that you can use it occasionally yeah. or get it's out of it all when the you time want to. Needed to. Yeah. Right. And that's why I feel I identify and my character Sparrow identifies with wheelchair bound. So I'm not saying, you know, that my wheelchair is this negative hindrance in any mm. sort of way, but I'm in it two th- uh, 24 seven. I can't choose when to use it or mm. not. It is my only option. Right. Um, so I think, you know, something like that, I identify with a lot more. And I know I have, um, there's this woman that my parents are in Bible study with, and uh, she's in a, a wheelchair. She's paralyzed. Mm. And she, again, she said the exact same thing. Her and I had never had this conversation before, and she had that exact same sentiment mm. about the bound end user. Um, and so, you know, I know that's a point of contention. After a Daughter of the Trolls had come out, we had gotten... Um, you know, some reviews and some emails, people who mm-hmm. are disabled or, um, again, differently abled. There's a lot of things about, about that as well as disabled and differently abled. Yeah. Disabled is not a dirty word. I don't think wheelchair bound is a dirty word. Um, but we had gotten some comments and reviews and some of them are, you know, super great. And even as people in the chronic illness community, they're like, you know, Sparrow is such a, a positive character, you know, and it really shows the realities of, of, being disabled and there's no cure at the end of the book, you know, where she can walk again or, you know, get out of a wheelchair. That is just who she is. That's her, that's her life. Um, and she's not paralyzed either. She, I kind of modeled Sparrow's, um, illness after, after me, you know, so though her legs still work, you know, she uses it 24 seven. And so I use my feet a lot to pedal around. Like when (laughs) I'm in the house, it's helped me keep my leg muscle and I can't use my arms very extensively because I, don't have endurance like if i do it i make myself sick my right. heart rate goes up too high i'm nauseous i'm hot and sweaty and that's why i have a service dog if you're on youtube you can probably see grim over here this is grimmy he's uh he's my mobility dog so he actually pulls me <laughs> kind of like a sled dog he has a harness that i grab onto and he propels my wheelchair forward yeah. um he's strong he can go fast too. yeah he's a, he's a thick boy he's yeah. actually he's a standard poodle um he's gonna be two on november 11th oh <gasps> Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had comments and emails. Um, it was a little frustrating. There was a couple of people who had emailed me and my publisher who are neither in the disabled or chronically ill community in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. They were kind of just your quote unquote standard person, I guess, um, who had strong opinions about that as well, saying that it was, um, offensive and that we needed to change it and reprint our copies with someone who wasn't disabled telling you how to label yourself. Right. Yeah. So I, again, I understand if someone goes by, you know, they identify with wheelchair user and that's what they say to their self. I would talking to that person, I would say wheelchair user for them. Sure. You know, it's, it's kind of, I get it. Mm-hmm. I do. And for some people that works and for some people it doesn't. And there are certain things and phrases and situations like that where I think it can almost be related to toxic positivity. Yep. If you, yep. If oh, you know absolutely. what I'm talking about. Oh, we could talk all day on that one too. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of feel that way in general about my situation and, and what you had said, you know, was 
I have done so much with with my situation. You know, yeah. I've created these worlds and these characters. And, you know, I've had people who say, oh, you know, you're so positive. And, you know, and, and I had said the my faith has contributed to mm-hmm. me not being angry about my situation, never saying, well, you know, why God, why me kind mm-hmm. of thing. I never had that moment. But I'm also, I consider myself as a positive pessimist. I'm very <laughs> neutral. Mm, you mm. know, I see the realities of the situation, but I'm also not going to be an Eeyore. You know, you're I'm not, not going to be dwell, a bummer. You're not going to dwell on the little rain cloud. You're going to be like, right. oh, okay, well, that's a nice time to cozy up. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a realist. Yeah. The, the reality of my situation yeah sucks Mm -hmm. and it's sad and i deal with anxiety and depression i mean Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be quite candid um i definitely have some medical ptsd um you know from some of the things i had mentioned that i deal dealt with in my childhood um i probably won't go into it you know it's not necessarily my story to tell but growing up my sister i have two older sisters and one eldest half sister she's older than all of us but the one closest to me in age she had leukemia when I was a kid mm. and um, quite literally was almost dying for a year. And so I saw that when I was eight years old yeah. and I remember it vividly. And I really grew up at that moment. Um, so, you know, and my, my parents were always there. One of them was always staying with her in the hospital. I, you know, had stayed on the couches of some of the people that we had gone to church with. Um, I remember I didn't get to spend Christmas with my family. I only spent Christmas that year with my parents in the morning. And then I got shipped off, I think to my uncle's house, but you know, that, that was hard in itself. I developed, I think my anxiety at that point, I started having panic Mm -hmm. attacks at that age. And, um, I think the depression kind of came along within those years. And Mm -hmm. I definitely believe I'm a firm believer that depression can be chemical and situational. And I think throughout my life, especially now, I definitely have a mix of it being, (laughs) Hello, Grim. Thank you Hi, for your Grimmie. opinion. <laughs> uh, Grim. You might hear something outside. Hey, come here. Come here, honey. Hi. Um, you know, I, I, especially in my situation, I definitely do think that it is chemical and situational because mm-hmm. the reality of it, you know, I can be as positive as I can and, you know, do as many things as I'm doing in my career, you know, working with you, writing books that are all about representation, whether that's mental health, neurodiversities, uh, disabilities and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm still depressed. I'm, you know, I'm taking my anxiety and depression medication every day in the morning and I'm very candid about that. I don't think that's something that needs to be hidden away. I don't think there's any shame in admitting that you need help. And whether that's from medication or therapy, I've tried therapy, not for me. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. So, so all that to say, how would you, with people who might not be in your situation, but obviously could relate to either health issues or mental health issues, um, or going in and out of hospitals and the doctors having no clue what that is. Cause I, I, I know that that can be very relatable to a lot of people mm-hmm. as well. Of just like the doctor has no idea, like, right. like, like the hospital system has no idea what, what's going on and also feeling very unicorn like themselves. Mm-hmm. What would you say to either younger you or them of what do they, what do they do? And now what do they do going forward? What do they do? How do you confront and face reality? what do you do in spite of it? Right. That's a really hard question. Um, you know, because it's 
for me, that's four years of, of internal and mental work that I've had to do, Mm -hmm. you know, with myself. Um, you know, I definitely think a big thing is, you know, self-reflecting. Yeah. It's also to seek help when you need it. Mm -hmm. Be open with your friends and your family, you know, let yourself lean on other people when you don't have the strength to deal with it and be on your own, you know, whether that's in your head or physically, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I would say probably one of the most important things is to, in your darkest moments, try to find any little bit of happiness you can, even if it's just a crumb, a morsel, hang on to it. What's a bit of happiness for you right now? Well, I mean, everything that we've got going on in itself is crazy and a huge blessing and it's going to completely, you know, change my life. I mean, I'm on state disability and that in itself is super hard and hard to live on and, you know, getting $20 for food stamps. Um, I think the thing that I've definitely hung on to the most is probably Grim, my service dog, because my life honestly really changed when I got him. He gave me my life back Mm -hmm. because at that point in a wheelchair, someone had to push me all the time. I had to, I put, you know, the little uh, foot pegs on. I couldn't put my legs down at all. Like I was so sick. I was so tired because again, I can't expend that energy. As soon as I got Grim and he was able to pull my chair, no one's ever had to push me. They can Mm -hmm. walk beside me. Mm -hmm. My parents do not have to stand and look at the back of my head. Mm. They get to walk with me. And that in itself, like you would never think about that, Mm -hmm. but that's so huge that I, like, that's just such a big change, Mm. you know? And, and it's weird when I have to go out with Grim, like if he, if I don't have him, cause he's at a grooming thing or whatever. I mean, he's a poodle. He (laughs) he needs haircuts. (laughs) Like I kind of have to revert back to that and someone has to push me. I'm just like, wow. I mm-hmm. never realized how big of a difference he makes. And he is such a floppy, silly boy outside mm-hmm. of his duties. Like he's just a complete dork. Oh, yeah. And I think like I've literally been sobbing before and he just sits there and looks at me and I just can't help but laugh. And he's just, mm-hmm. he's got one of those faces, you know? So for other people, you know, it's your pets, service dogs, family. It can be hobbies. I mean, my writing has been a huge thing. You know, I put a piece of myself in every single book. I learned so much about myself through writing these characters. Like it's, it's very much an outlet. So, you know, that crumb of happiness can be hobbies, people, animals. It can be music. It can be Mm -hmm. books in itself, but hold on to that, Mm -hmm. you know, as tight as you can. I have had, you know, a, a close friend of mine. She was uh, disabled and chronically ill and I lost her recently to Mm. suicide. Like it is so hard. I mean, whether you're dealing with chronic illness or disability or not just in general in life, like it is so hard sometimes to keep going. Mm. And I'm not going to lie to you. I have thought about death a lot. Like let's, let's be honest. It would be so easy. Like, and you know, it would just be so nice to not be in pain, to Mm -hmm. not be sick but I think of my family and my friends and how that would affect them. Mm -hmm. And I could never do that. So I, I let them kind of feed that life back into me. You know, my nieces and my nephew, like Mm -hmm. I can't have children anymore. And that's still something that's really hard to deal with for me. And I love them. Like they were my own kids. They're my pride and joy. Those are my little babies. Like every time I see them, you can't not be happy. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, 
finding anything, yeah. literally anything you can scrounge up, even if it's just the tiniest little thing. If it's momentary joy, it doesn't have to be this big permanent thing in your life like family or mm-hmm. a service dog. Anything that keeps you going from day to day. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be the same thing. Yeah. Could be Quincy's Tavern for all you know. <laughs> I know a lot of people out there love what you do and the world that you have created. And that has been such a huge source of positivity. Mm-hmm. You have been a comfort and a harbor that people can come to after a hard day, whether that's at work or dealing with health issues, mental health issues. Like the world that you have created, I know, I hope you know that you have changed people's lives for the better. And at this point you are changing my life for the better because I cannot, I didn't know I was going to be sitting here Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this year. And I have had it rough, especially this year, losing, (laughs) losing my uterus, (laughs) you know, and my life is rapidly changing just because of you and because you are personally in my life. But the videos that you create, like, dude, (laughs) you are changing a lot. And so some people, that crumb of happiness could be you and your character. Well, that's a lot of so, pressure. Oh, no, it's not. It's I wouldn't look at it as a lot of pressure. I think because you're being yourself, mm. you know, even though you are playing, quote unquote, a character, you know, a tavern keeper, that is still you in your heart. Yeah. You know, so you're not being something that you're not. So I don't think it's like, oh, you have to have pressure to continue being that character because you're just being yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that creating the content in itself might be the pressure, but it is something that you enjoy and you do enjoy this world and you have ideas on how to make it bigger. I mean, hello, the podcast is one of the biggest things, but I wouldn't say it's pressure. I think it's it's what you enjoy and people are... How did are... this come to you talking about me? What the heck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Turn these tables. <laughs> No, but this is, first, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. Um, th- this shows you a little bit of who Mackenzie is. This is why not only are you one of my best friends, is why you are uh, someone that I wanted to collaborate with and work in and wholeheartedly invite into the world of the tavern and, and what we're doing and what we're creating and making. Um, suffice it to say, like, if you're if you're still listening and you're still here, thank you for thank you for being here. Um, and I hope that it was, I hope it was a good time. I hope in, in, in a very positive, pessimistic way, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that life happens and life is reality. And one of the things that I definitely do not want to be and and don't promote is that toxic positivity that you mentioned before of like, everything's going to be okay. You're going to do great. Like life is all, you know, that sugars and cream and sunshines and berries. It's Um, okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have a day where it's just been a day. Mm -hmm. It's okay to, you know, or a season where you have been defeated, but the goal is that you do not give up. You don't yep. stop. It's it becomes that, <laughs> yeah, Grim. You it you you just cannot give up, and you have to find that reason to not give up. Mm-hmm. Um, because it could be even that your story helps somebody else. It could be that what you do and what you create, and your just very existence is an inspiration to somebody else. Um, do you feel that Quincy's Tavern was your way of doing that for yourself? Well, kind of like how we mentioned that Quincy's Tavern was a place where we could, we created 
characters and worlds where we didn't see ourselves represented. Like, I don't have the body physique of, like, a cosplayer who can do Batman and Spider-Man and all that stuff. I also do not have the height. I am five heckin' two. So, a very, very tall boy. Um, <laughs> shout out to my short kings over here. But no, um, but that's just not my my style. And so I created Quincy's Tavern as... Just originally, it was someone who could be just the behind the bar, and I could do like those point of view videos as a patron to the bartender. Um, and eventually, it kind of just evolved and turned into where the bartender would give you just advice, mm. unsolicited advice, right. honestly, <laughs> um, and just give you the two cents for the day of like, oh, you look like you've been through it. Let me tell you what it, what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, <laughs> but in a way that makes you feel seen and um, makes you feel like you've been heard and uh, I'm I'm very very thankful for the the position that we're in and that people enjoy the videos uh, for what they are um, but at the end of the day when when folks come up and they're like hey your videos really helped me through a bad time honestly I'm glad the videos were there but it was you it was ultimately you to make that decision to keep on going. Mm. And I'm so thankful to be in the position where I was that point of inspiration or if it was that spark, but you're carrying that fire and you should keep on carrying that fire. Um, so, but this is probably where we're going to end this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank on you, a McKenna. sappy note, yeah. On a sappy <laughs> note, but I hope you have a wonderful weekend ahead of you. Happy Friday. Uh, oh. Goodbye from Grim. Goodbye from Grim. Come here, baby. <laughs> but happy Friday. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. And we'll see you in the next one. See you soon. Bye.